please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We'll be in chapter 1 this morning. And we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2 this afternoon, evening, whatever time you give to that. And just a little context, okay, that um, you may not remember, I don't expect you to. A few months ago, I preached in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And so, you know, there's, there's different ways to travel. You can travel by plane, you can travel by car. Depending on the speed of how you travel depends on all that you're able to see. Kind of like taking a hike with grandkids, okay? In the, in the woods and the Rocky Mountains when one of them wants to hunt for rocks. Well, I might have one grandkid who he's just running because he's out in the woods and he's exploring and he's gone. And then I have another one. Grandpa, here's a rock. Grandpa, here's another rock. One's going to be doing circles around us while one, if he gets or she gets 20 feet, we're doing good. So we're kind of, I don't know how you would describe this, but maybe not jet flight, but, jet flight but, but, but maybe traveling a little over the speed limit in a vehicle. Because I want to put, put it in this context for you, all right? Because I believe the apostles' topic here is the same in, in all of these passages. But he's giving it a, a, a little bit different flavor. The passage from 3 to 12, if I were to give it a broad title, I'd just say the glory of salvation. Just the awesomeness, the wonder of salvation. And, and how uh, there's so many different words in there that you could just park. In, I mean, some preachers, write, they could say, blessed be the God, and they'd stop there, and that would be the first sermon. And they could they could make ten sermons out of out of just the first twelve verses. Um, God bless them. But there are so many concepts that are there. Is what I'm getting to. And this morning's though the title is the calling of salvation. We'll come to explore that a little bit more. But and then this evening the purpose of salvation. But here now follow along please if you would now as we read. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13 through the end of the chapter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed 
from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Again, may God bless to us the reading and understanding of his holy word. So a couple of years ago, as I was beginning to transition from what I'd been doing for 30 years or so as a, a chaplain in the United States Army and um, enjoying it, I was transitioning, though, to, to what they, they, they refer to as, you know, retirement. And the question was, well, what are you going to do now? So I was pursuing a couple of things, and I was introduced to a couple of people, and one of the, the men I, that I developed a friendship with uh, in the course of this time was a man by the name of Tony Giles, who does a lot of coaching for pastors. And so as I was discussing with him and exploring this realm uh, and what he meant by how, how his approach was to coaching pastors, he talked uh, about gospel coaching. And I was like, okay, yeah, everything needs a buzzword, right? So, so what is gospel coaching? And so how he explained it to me is, was kind of interesting. And, and it was the concept that he says, you know, a, a lot of pastors will come to him and they'll say, oh, I need help with uh, my preaching. Or people are telling me I need help. Oh, with my counseling, or I need to be a better this, or I need to be a better that. And Tony very gently, but would kind of shift their way of thinking to say, I'm really not interested in you being another, a better you. I'm really not interested in helping you do your self-improvement. And he would flip that and he'd say, what I want to know is what is the gospel doing in your life? Earlier I mentioned how this first passage I would describe as just the wonder and awesomeness of salvation, the glory of salvation in the first passage there in, in, in 1 Peter. And, and the, the idea I want you to get is the salvation that has come to us, the beauty of it, the glory of it, is not something that we receive and put on a mantle and sit back and admire. Wow, grace is wonderful. 
But the challenge is that the gospel came to you to transform you and me. It didn't come to make us a better me. So I can run faster, jump higher, shoot straighter. came to transform me because God is the one who is to receive glory from it. Not me. The gospel came to you in order to transform you so that now we become vehicles of grace and his people of how the gospel is shared. And so I'd almost like you to think of of this morning's sermon, uh, and I'm not a nautical guy, but, but challenging you the question is, how does the gospel propel you? How does it propel me? And in the outline, uh, I'm going to pick on just three things, and there's, there's more that could be, be teased out. Three ways the gospel is to propel us, and that is through obedience, through holiness, and through love. And these things, you know, in, in a propeller, you know, Hey, if it's, if it's uh, just out of the water, it's just been around, it's just a fan. But you put it in the water, and it creates movement. It creates motion, and that's what it was designed for. The gospel comes to us, and we are received these things. And when we are conformed to the image of Christ... We are moved because the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's not there just for us to sit idle. We don't receive this gift, as I said earlier, just to admire it or say, well, look what I have. So how does it do this? And the implication, particularly in 14 is one is obedience as obedient children now as mentioned we have a lot a lot of children in this congregation and that's a great thing and parents boy what a challenge what an opportunity right and there's a couple of ways to look at uh, being obedient children isn't there well, first and foremost, sometimes we think of the, the rules checklist. All right, what do you need to do to be an obedient child? Oh, I'm going to pick up my toys. Oh, I'm going uh, to make my bed. Oh, I'm not going to complain at the food that's put in front of me. Oh, if I do those things, I'm an obedient child. And we all know that a child can do all of those things and their heart be very far from being obedient to our parents. But don't we sometimes approach obedience the same way as believers? Ah, I'm here on Sunday morning. Could be doing something else. Ah, I've read my Bible today. Ah, I've got this checklist of things I've accomplished. I must be an obedient Christian. But we see that the Word of God goes so much further, deeper 
into what it means to be an obedient child. We're given a very good look at this in the Gospel of Luke with the rich young ruler, who in Luke 18, he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus kind of says, okay, here's a little checklist. I'm there. I've done all of these things. I've done the checklist. Okay, now go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Now he went beyond checklist to where is your heart. And what do we read? He went away very sad. So it was connected to the heart. We also read in the Gospels as well about priests, Levites, Pharisees, excellent rule keepers. In fact, they liked even making up rules so they could keep them. That, that, that's pretty clever. That's kind of like politicians. They make rules so they can enforce certain things that they want, right? The Pharisees, they can create a checklist, and then they can uh, accomplish the checklist, and that's a pretty good gig. But they all passed by the person who was beaten and robbed. But it was a Samaritan who saw the one in need and showed compassion and cared who had a heart of obedience to do the right thing. The Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus in Christ, gives us this whole idea of a new way of thinking about things such as lust and greed and murder, where he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you, you know, I, this goes back about 40 years probably. I was single guy on a flight. I was uh, teaching at the American Academy in Cyprus. And I think it was one of my flights back here to the United States. And um, I was on, I believe, Royal Jordanian Airlines. All right? Trust me. I was the only person with their, this fair colored skin on there. Everybody else, very Arabic. And I was kind of walking like this, you know, kind of sitting down, kind of trying to keep a low profile. Wouldn't you know it, a, a, a person about my, my age, a young imam, gets a seat next to me. So what do you do? I see you're American, you know. Are you American? Yeah, I'm an American. You know, and at that time, things were a little tense in the Middle East. And uh, so um, he's like, well, what do you do? I, I teach school. Oh, where do you teach? It goes on and on. Oh, you're a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm an imam. Oh. He says, tell me a little bit about Christianity. So the conversation went on a little bit. And it, I, I was like, God, you can work in ways and do things. And, and then we got to the idea of grace. And he's like, oh, 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 this is where you guys just miss it. He says, the beauty of Islam is it tells you exactly what you have to do to be righteous. And I wasn't expecting it. And he started going, I was like, yes, it will tell me to do this at this time, this at that time, this 
And if I do all of these things, I'm promised righteousness. It, it, it is the perfect works righteousness religion. And the idea of grace just goes right over their heads. But that's the only thing we know. Grace comes first for us. And it is out of a sense of grace that God has gifted to us that we respond with a sense of proper obedience. Not from a sense of a checklist of rules, from a sense of being redeemed by the blood of Christ to want to be submissive to the one who has bought me. Are you propelled? Has the gospel come to you and is it propelling you to obedience? The next one's difficult. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Wow, that's, I don't know about you, but that's a little intimidating. But it's very closely related and linked to the obedience. Because if we see life as a, as a believer, as a rules checklist, and that's our path to holiness, not only is it uh, intimidating, it's fruitless. Because we know we can't do it, and so we'll have the idea of, done, can't do it. I'll just work on being more obedient. Because at least there I know what I'm trying to do. Scriptures don't let us get away with that. It says too clearly. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. So we need to go to Isaiah 6, perhaps, to give us a little bit of an idea of how we can not only be propelled by a different way of thinking of our obedience to Jesus Christ, but our holiness. And I won't, uh, it's, it's kind of a, uh, not super lengthy, but a little bit lengthy, but Isaiah chapter 6 is familiar with many people where God comes to Isaiah as a vision of the Lord. And in that, at verse 3 in chapter 6 of Isaiah, it says, In one call to another said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so you get a sense there that holiness is simply who God is. And it emanates. And it is his glory. And we get a sense and a perspective of God first. Again, we don't begin with our thinking of what holiness may be. We begin with the thinking of understanding God and his holiness is simply a part of who he is. And so then 
once Isaiah, it says, Then one seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So we have this image, really, of the vision of Isaiah in which he was impressed with the holiness and glory of God. He received it, had his sins pardoned and atoned for. And then it says, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? In Isaiah, it's almost like he didn't have a choice. But he was compelled to say, here am I, send me. Holiness is God's standard because holiness is who God is. And so we don't seek it in ourselves, but as a response of what God has done for us and who we think. If he's our king, don't we want to be like our king? And it takes a large dose, you might say, of humility. And that's what it took Isaiah. And we could also just as easily go to uh, 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 Philippians, the, the famous passage of Christ where the humility of Christ was put on. We know Christ, in the God in the flesh. But in his humility took on the form of man, suffered for our sake, yet was exalted. Holiness is God's standard. We only can work towards it when we acknowledge and try to understand the holy righteousness of the God who saved us and redeemed us and humbly respond to him. Holiness is not something for us to resist or to run from. It's something for us to pursue properly. Does the gospel, is the gospel that has come to you propelling you to holiness? Now these first two, particularly in this passage, being called to obedience and being called to holiness are in direct relation to us and what God has done for us. This third one that he has called us to now brings us into our corporate uh, body. Because in verse uh, 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You've been called to love one another. This, you know, the, we could spend a long time on the first two as far as called to be obedient to Christ, called to be uh, holy before God. Some really good, rich, deep theological concepts there. And and I'll, maybe I'll just speak for me. That's somewhat easier because I know I'm dealing with someone so much infinitely higher than I am, I can't even comprehend it. But now he says, love one another earnestly. 
I think that's actually one of the harder things. Why? Because I'm dealing with people like you. And you're dealing with me. I've often, uh, when I would do uh, couples retreats, I would often tell the couples as we'd gather together, and uh, not just in jest, but I'd say, you know, the hardest person I've ever had to deal with in my marriage is not my wife, but me. So you take that example, we're in a loving relationship, but I have to deal with me, and I am called to love her earnestly. Oh, and let's, let's expand it now. I'm to love you earnestly. When I'm doing the, the first two, dealing with obedience and holiness, I'm dealing with God directly. And I'm dealing with God on this one as well. But we all know those of us in this room are not like holy as God is holy or obedient as Jesus was obedient. We get to know our flaws. We get to know our sin. We get to know our imperfections. And so love becomes a challenge. In fact, I think sometimes we can excuse ourselves on this one where we don't excuse ourselves on the previous two. Because after all, the person, you know, did some really horrible things. But Jesus Christ loved us when? While we were still sinners and enemies. Doesn't sugarcoat it. We were, in essence, before coming to Christ, our very lives daily were slapping him in the face. He loved us. He gave himself for us. Not when we were at our best, but when we were at our worst. Love one another earnestly. So, again, I'm not a nautical guy, but most of these boats that I see have like three propellers. Some have four. I don't know. You, you nautical guys can correct me afterwards and inform me. But I know if you only have one, it's really not going to make the boat go very well. I think if you have, have even just two, it's not going to go that great. But there's something about three makes it work pretty good. So what I'm saying is I'm not asking you to pick and choose this morning because all of these come with the gospel. It doesn't say I received the gospel and I'm going to pick and choose what part of the gospel I like and what part I'm going to apply. The gospel came to you not to sit idly, but he called you to action. The action he's called you to is to be obedient children to God, to be holy, and to love one another earnestly. There's a lot of things you can do in life. But what does he also bring out throughout this passage? 
he brings this whole thing at the end because the flesh, the perishable, it's really just, it's very brief. But the word of the Lord remains forever. He saved you for eternity. This is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel that has come to us. And even as we consider this, we consider in just a moment coming to the table that you have prepared for us to remind us of what a great salvation. And Lord, as we look at the gospel in us and how you have designed it to transform us, we pray that you will use your word, your means, as a way of sanctifying us, your children. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.